Go and open up your Bibles, if you will, to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to read the whole chapter here. Familiar story, popular in uh, the kids' storybook Bibles, and um, a favorite, favorite Bible story. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So 60 cubits is about 90 feet tall, so that's a ginormous statue. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. So pretty, pretty good motivation to do, do what they ask. Therefore, at that time when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and in anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready... At the moment that you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will be immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. 
But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes. They got them all put on all the clothes they can. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste, and he said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire, and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Mendigo came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Amen. So, familiar account, but a glorious account. This takes place about 600 years before the time of Christ. Obviously, during the Babylonian captivity, the Jews had again sinned against the Lord. They'd been worshiping the Baals and the false gods, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in there with his armies, plowed it all down, and took them captive. And uh, Daniel and his three friends, um, they were kind of raised up in the king's house. They were given kind of special privileges and kind of positions of authority because Daniel uh, could interpret those dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar. So that's kind of the, the setting of how all this is taking place. But I want to begin by asking us a question. The question is this, what is the miracle in these verses? What is the miracle in these verses? I mean, was it their physical deliverance? Was it the the appearance of the fourth man who may have been a pre-incarnate vision of Christ or may have been just an angel that was delivering them? What was the miracle? And I would like to submit to you that the miracle and kind of the climax of the passage is the, the, the conflict of authority of when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make their reply to the king 
and they steadfastly refused to bow down and worship the false gods, believing God. The miracle, the greatest miracle, was in, the, in their heart. One man said this, Walter uh, Cuthy said this, that there are three men who do not worship Nebuchadnezzar's totalitarian state is a miracle of God. The miracle of the confessing church that the three men were not devoured by fire is no greater miracle. So it was, a, it was a magnificent miracle. It was glorious that they were delivered by fire. They weren't burned. The smell didn't even touch their clothes. But the greater miracle was something that took place long before that in their hearts. And so in this story, the, the pressure of living in a pagan land kind of gets cranked up a few notches, doesn't it? Uh, they're facing the power of pressure. They've got this dominating and intimidating image. I mean, this, this statue that's 90 feet tall, overlaid with gold. They've got the intimidation of authority. I mean, the king who can snap his fingers and you're put to death. He's saying everyone's got to worship this. They've got the pressure of conformity. It says they gathered all the peoples, the prefects and the governors, every kind of high position. Everybody's doing it. You're going to stand out like a sore thumb if you don't. They've got the pressure of malice, these angry betrayers that are trying to hand them over, these Chaldeans. And they've got the pressure of intimidation, right? The furnace of blazing fire. Do this or this is what's going to happen to you. So this is what I'd like to kind of focus on here is these these verses in uh, verses 16 through 18. So maybe let's just look at that again. Look at their reply. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So this is, in my mind at least, the climax of the passage. They're triumphant before they've, tri- before they've even triumphed. Uh, they actually get a spot in Hebrews chapter 11. If you remember, it says there were those that quenched the power of fire by faith. And so that's what I want us to do today. I want us just to examine um, the faith of these men and kind of test our own faith and encourage and kind of stir up our own faith. So the first thing I'd like to point out is this. What was the basis of these men's faith. And I would say it is this. It's the word of God. They knew who God was. They, they were relying upon God. They trusted God. They, they had read the Bible. They knew what God had done to Pharaoh. They knew how God had brought, them, brought the Jews out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with terrible signs, terrible signs and wonders of great power. They knew who God was. No doubt they they could quote Exodus chapter 20. They could quote the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness. So they they knew these things. They knew their God. And that that is what their faith was fixed upon. This relationship, this, this covenant relationship they had with God. That was the basis. That's where they had banked their life and built their life upon. Like Moses, it says in Hebrews, not fearing the wrath of the king, he saw him who was unseen. They were seen beyond the situation. They were seen in believing God. So that's the first thing. What was their faith based upon? It was based upon God himself. 
and his promises, his word. What else do we learn about faith from these passages? True faith is determined to follow God no matter what. There wasn't any waffling in their response to the king, was there? They didn't ask. They said, whoa, wait a second here. Let's give us, give us two minutes. Let's kind of reason together and figure out what we want to do here, whether or not we want to go in this fire or, you know, or deny the Lord. It wasn't, there, was no, there was no waffling. There was no uh, decision-making. They didn't immediately think of plan B, right? What would plan B be? Well, we could, we, could, we could pretend like we're worshiping, but not really mean it in our hearts. We'll really be saying the opposite. We'll, we'll give the appearance to everyone that we're doing it, but in our hearts we won't really do it. Or they didn't reason, you know, we've got these important positions. The other Jews, they're dependent on us. So if, we're, if we don't stay alive, you know, then that's going to hurt them. I mean, they didn't go there. They knew it was an issue of, of worshiping the true God versus worshiping the false gods and that testimony before men. No, there was a settledness already in them. Like the psalmist says, O oh God, you are my God, and I shall ever praise you. Your praise shall continually be in my mouth. What, what had happened in their life? They had found something worth dying for, right? They had already found it. It wasn't like they decided then, then and there, this is, this is worth dying for. They had, al- they had already determined that long ago. Elizabeth Elliot said this, There's nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for, which I think is a really good thing to think about. If you Think about all the things that people live for, for money or for prestige. Would they die for those things? Probably not. And I, a lot of them would rather pay $100,000 than to die. They don't, they don't value it that much. So is it really worth living for if you're not willing to die for it? And the answer is no. Here is something worth dying for, the truth of God, who God is the worship of God, the glory of God. There's something so valuable there that it is worth dying. It's worth living for. He's worth living for, and he's worth dying for. You know, one thing I did want to bring out here is in this determination to follow God no matter what, you know, as Christians, sometimes you can get kind of bound up thinking about the future or thinking about what if I were in this situation, and, um, you know, the devil accuses you basically and says, you could, you could never do something like this. Uh, you know, and you're condemned for something that's not even happened, you know, that may never happen, that likely will never happen. But, I mean, the reality is this. If you're, if you're determined to follow God now, if you're just walking with God now, he's going to give you the grace then. That's the, that's the reality of the matter. And that's why these men could do this, right? I mean, they were already, they were already living in the reality of faith. They were already walking with God and when this came, God gave them the grace they needed to face that particular trial at that particular time. What else do we learn about faith? They trusted God for deliverance. Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from, from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Their default was that God was going to deliver them, Right? You know, I feel like it's kind of a snare, and I've had this in my own life where you just kind of think harsh thoughts about God, like what kind of catastrophe is God waiting to bring into my life next? Or, you know, just that he, that he doesn't have plans of goodness toward you, that he's just going to bring all these really hard or terrible trials into your life. You're just, you're just waiting for the next one to come. But that's not, that's not how these men were. They, their default was believing that God 
was going to deliver them. They were hoping in God. They were trusting that God was going to deliver them. You remember David, when he sinned and numbered the people, God gave him three options. You can have a famine for seven years, uh, you can have pestilence for three days, or you can be delivered into the hands of your enemy for three months, I think it was, or maybe it was three years. But he said, David said, let us now fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but let us not fall into the hands of man. He's saying, don't, don't let me fall into the hands of man. That'd be far worse. Whatever God's punishment, that's going to be a lot better because God's mercies are great. You know, his default was there's going to be deliverance with God. <laughs> like, let's, go, let's go that direction. So not thinking harsh thoughts about God. They, they were trusting God for deliverance. I mean, they made the statement, he's going to do it. But this is a far cry from the false kind of faith, the name it, kind of claim it mentality. Uh, Those sorts of preachers would not really like this passage very much. Um, But they didn't, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't saying, I'm calling down the deliverance of God in Jesus' name, or we're going to bind this fire by faith in Jesus' name. they weren't prescribing to God what he, what he would or would not do, right? There's one man, he was a Muslim, he was converted, I believe, soundly converted, encouraging. In the providence of God, he got cancer, and he kind of fell into that kind of line of Christian thought where it's always God's will for you to be healed, and if you're not healed, it's because you're not believing God. Well, he ended up dying, and that was a source of great discouragement to him um, in the last remaining few months of his life um so it hurts people to to kind of have that false idea of faith of you just you've just got to believe god enough just name it and claim it and then then it'll be done then you'll have deliverance dale ralph davis said faith does not plot god's course but only to obey god's command so any sort of idea of quote-unquote using the power of your faith to get god to do something is utterly wrong. It's foreign to the Bible and to biblical faith. What else do we see here? Well, we see that true faith is not conditional. Look at this verse in verse 18. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if he does not, this is a great snare, right, for, for some people. I'll follow God if he does X, Y, or Z. I mean, a lot of people try to come to God that way. I'll follow you, Lord, if you let me hold on to this one particular area in my life. And then I promise I'll, I'll do everything else you say, but just let me hold on to this one particular sin that I hold dear to myself. I'll follow you, Lord, but in the end I'm going to marry who I want to marry. I'm going to, I'll follow you, Lord, but on one condition, I still get to keep the job where I'm making the big bucks, and I'm not going to take some other job if you told me to do that. No, it's unconditional. True faith has no conditions. These men were resigned to only worship and serve the Lord, come what may, right? Even if he does not, even if he doesn't deliver us, even if it goes totally wrong, we're still not going to worship your false gods. We're still going to worship and serve the Lord. I remember when uh, Brother John Dees and I were in India, we had visited. Uh, there was a young man. He had an uncle, and uh, the uncle supposedly had converted from Hinduism, and he was kind of 
Catholic and worked for this radio station, and we started talking to him, and he still had idols, you know, in his house. They'd be kind of, they were kind of on the walls, and um, it came out that the reason he had converted was that I guess there was a period where he had no money. He was literally starving for about three days, and then he kind of miraculously got this job, and uh, he took it as, as that Jesus had given him the job. So he said, I'm going to follow Jesus, you know, and, and the thing he kept saying is, like, I'll follow Jesus as long as he continues to be my breadwinner. That's what he kept calling him. He's my, Jesus is my breadwinner. Jesus is my breadwinner. Like, unashamedly, just kept, kept repeating that kind of phrase. And the truth was, his God was his belly, and his glory was his shame. He would, worship, he would follow Jesus as long as what he was continuing to get that supply of money and keep providing for his house and his food. But it was conditional, you see. It wasn't, there was no genuine faith there. It wasn't a resignation to follow God no matter what the cost. So these men, they were sure about his ability. They said, the God whom we serve, we know he's able, but they weren't sure about his purpose, right? They, you know, they weren't saying, I know 100% sure we're not going to die if we go in that fire. They're saying, we're trusting God he's going to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship and serve him. Ultimately, what mattered for them was not deliverance, but obedience. Another quote by Dale Ralph Davis, Faith knows the power of God, right? He is able. Guards the freedom of God, but if not, they said if not, and holds to the truth of God, we will not serve your gods. So they, they were guarding the freedom of God. God is free to do as he please, pleases, as he sees fit. So I think this phrase here, but even if, even if he does not, is one of the brightest statements of faith in the Bible. So what were they saying? They're saying this. We're going to believe God, but the consequences are up to God. Don Johnson has the famous sermon. If you've not listened to it, you should listen to it. The consequences of faith. He brings out there in Hebrews 11 how some people by faith escape the edge of the sword. And it says by faith other people were put to death by the sword. Both of them were walking in faith. Both of them were following the Lord. The outcome of that life of faith had different consequences. And the consequences are up to God, right? I mean, we don't know what the consequences are going to be of following the Lord. I mean, I remember in that message he brought out, some of you, I mean, you've loved your kids, you've prayed for them, you've shared the gospel with them. Some of, them, some of your kids have been converted. Some of you, all of your kids have been converted. Others, none of them have been converted. You can't just say, well, that's just your bad parenting or whatever, you know, or something like that. I mean, the consequences of faith, it's up to God, what, what God is going to bring into your life. All souls are mine, declares the Lord. So what are, what are some things we can apply to ourselves here? And I'd say the first question is this, that we need to ask ourselves, like these men, is your faith founded upon God and his word? I mean, do you know the real test of this? The real test is what would happen is if genuine persecution were to break out in the United States of America. I mean, if people were going to start coming into the church building, start dragging people out, beating them, the question is, who's going to still be a part of the church? I mean, who's still going to be meeting with the brethren? Who's still going to be praying? I mean, that, that would thin out a lot of churches very quickly, and you would begin to see the people whose life is really founded upon God. 
He's the object of their faith. They're trusting in him. They're serving him. They're worshiping him. He's their rock. It's not enough to know about God, right? I mean, there's, there's many people that can recite many facts about God. But we must lay hold of God himself, where God is your, your rock, your strength, your portion. There's this covenant relationship. There's this intimacy. There's this dependence and reliance upon him, a reliance upon Christ. So that's the, kind of the foundational question. Is your faith even founded upon God? Second question is this, are you resolved to follow God no matter what? I mean, that's a serious question, and I think we should examine our hearts. You know, have you settled the question in your heart? I'm going to follow Christ no matter what the cost. I may lose my friends, maybe get kicked out of the family, lose, get kicked out of school, lose my job. You know, there's no telling where the Lord will take you if you're committed to following him. Are you willing? Are you willing to have whatever happens to you if it be most for the glory of God and to follow him? You know, some here may have never really committed themselves to following the Lord. You know, some of you children maybe. You've 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 kind of made half-hearted wishes toward God. You've kind of made halfway committed things. Yeah, it'd be good if I followed God. I know it's the right thing to do, but you're still kind of holding back in your heart and your life. There's not a full-out 100% all for the glory of God. I'm going to surrender to him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to serve him because he deserves it, because he's worthy, because he's good. Elijah asked the question, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. If the Lord is God, if God really is God, is he not worthy of your life? Is he not worthy of you trusting him completely, devotedly following him? Who cares what other people think? Who cares what comes into your life? How about this other question? Do you trust God to deliver you? Or do you secretly kind of have this attitude, oh, God just has bad things coming my way, you know? Or some, some catastrophe does happen and your immediate thought is, oh, there's probably no deliverance here. That ought not to be. I mean, these men were trusting the Lord. They knew God. They knew the mercy of God was great. And their default was, God's going God's to get us through this. God is going to deliver us. And brethren, we should have the same attitude if we're trusting and following the Lord. This last quote, and probably the most important one, and even if he does not... We're still not going to worship your false gods. We're still going to follow the Lord. We're still going to love the Lord. I mean, this, this, is, this is real right here. Even if he does not, even if my wife dies, even if my kids die. You know, there was one brother, uh, they had adopted several kids. I don't know, some of you may have heard about this. They had adopted several kids. They moved down to Texas and... Um, they went out for the first day they'd moved down. They went out on a lake. He, he, they were out there swimming in the lake, and he drowned. The father drowned. And just the horror of that. They're, they're trying to find him, and it takes an hour before they can get his body out of the lake. And all the children, all these adopted kids were there. And um, I mean, just overwhelming things that God can bring into your life. By the grace of God, the, the wife is still following the Lord. She's still serving the Lord. She's... 
she she could say this, you know, even if not, even if even if everything didn't go the way. I mean, that was not what they had planned, right? I mean, they thought, here I'm doing the Lord's will. We're adopting these kids, you know, and uh, you know, surely something terrible like that won't happen to us. But God is sovereign. God can bring about whatever he wants to bring into your life. And you have to answer this question. Can you say, even if he does not, even if it all gets ruined, even if your house burns down and everything, nothing goes your way or you don't get married, you want to get married, but it doesn't work out, are you still going to follow the Lord? Are you still going to serve him and worship him? If, even if your life doesn't turn out the way that you envisioned it or you planned it to turn out, are you still going to follow the Lord? Brethren, these men had a deep resignation to the will of God and a trust in him no matter what the consequences were. And I just want to encourage us and uh, say we need to have the same thing. We need to, we need to, if we can't say it now, you need to ask the Lord for grace and help to change us in our heart and our life to be able to say it. Lord, I want to follow you no matter what, even if whatever the consequence, whatever the outcome of following you is. You're worth it. And lastly, I would just like to point out, God did deliver them. He miraculously delivered them, and he gave them honor, right? In the end, he says, this, whoever, does, whoever speaks bad about this God, let him be torn limb from limb. And then he says that um, he caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. So God, they humbled themselves, and God exalted them, Right? And even if it, if it doesn't happen in this life, we know for certain that it will happen in the next life. You're not going to miss out. You're not going to get the short end of, end of the stick if you believe God and you bank all upon God, even if you are put to death or whatever, because those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do just thank you for this text of scripture and thank you for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Lord, surely they had no idea the consequences of their faith and just the encouragement that it would bring throughout the church age and ages. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to imitate their faith and, um, and just to enter in in following you, banking all upon you, surrendering all to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.